This morning's scripture comes from Galatians 4, 4 through 7, and it reads, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as children. And because you are children, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a child. And if a child, then also an heir through God. This is the word of God to the people of God. Thanks be to God. We're in a sermon series called uh, Welcoming Jesus. And it's a good time of year for that, isn't it? It's a good time. And, and we were talking last night, uh, we came home from from being out and about, and Lily Grace uh, started going, where's Advent? It's time for Advent. Uh, you know, and, and trying to explain to her that Jesus has come, that Christmas is here, and you know, it, it, we do have our work cut off for us, we really do. There's a lot in this passage, and, and there's no way I'm gonna be able to cover it all today, but, but there's some, some really poignant parts of it uh, that just really uh, catch my heart. Now, growing up, I, I wanna tell you that my parents were a lot different from most people's parents. Uh, my mom and dad were married 15 years before they had me. Uh, that being said, I, I grew up a generation back, and, and, and because of that, their standards <laughs> were a little bit higher than the standards of my mom and dad's friends uh, and, and my friends. Uh, you know, they were a lot more strict uh, than most folks. I can remember a time when I was 16, I had a first date. You remember those first dates? I had a first date, and we were going to see the movie Annie. Yeah, that long ago. And it just so happened that the film broke. Now, for those of you who are young, that means that they had technical difficulties. I know y'all don't know anything about film breaking in a theater, but the film broke. Uh, they had tef- technical difficulties, and it took them a while to get the film back in the projector and get it back up and running. Well, I knew that I had to do one thing, and I had to find a, a, a telephone so I could call my dad and let him know that we were going to be late getting back from the movies. So the conversation went something like this. Dad, I just wanted to call and let you know that, that the film had broken at the theater, and I'm going to be late coming home from my date. My dad's response was, no, you're not. And I said, but dad, it's my first date. He said, son, if she likes you, you'll have a second one. You know what? I don't think I ever got to see the end of Annie until it came out on uh, video uh, probably a year later. <laughs> I had to be at home by 11 o'clock. What was really bad is that she was younger than me and she could stay out till 12. You know? <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't like that. I didn't like that at all, you know, but I lived in my mom and dad's house and I had to obey their rules whether I liked it or not, you know, and you know what the deal is, is, is a lot of us that grew up in church, it was, it was kind of the same way, wasn't it? It was kind of the same way. We, we, we knew the do's and we knew the don'ts, you know, and that was what church was all about. You did these things and you, and you didn't do these other things. 
Uh, Don Adams, who used to preach at First Church, used to say it kind of like this. He said, Christianity back then meant that I didn't drink, cuss, smoke, or chew, and I didn't date the girls who do. <laughs> you know, and the truth of the matter is, is we believed that heaven and hell was in the balance. If you did those things, then you went to hell. If you, if you did the bad things, then you went to hell. If you did the good things, you went to heaven. And, and you know, we just did the do's and we didn't do the don'ts. And, and whether we liked it or not, we had to do it. It sounds a little bit like slavery, doesn't it? Paul in our passage today is using an analogy. The analogy is growing from slave to sonship or daughtership. I can't really get into to, to chapter, uh, to verses 4 through 7 without first looking at verses 1, and, 1 through 3. I want to read it to you. He said this. Think of it this way. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up, even though they actually own everything that their father had. They have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father set. And that's the way it was with us before Christ came. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. At my mom and dad's house, I felt like a slave. They were house rules. Now, why in the world would you have to have house rules? Well, because there's a nature in the heart of everyone, including kids, and that nature causes us to have a tendency toward self-destruction, to have a tendency toward sin. David said it like this in Psalms 51.5. He said, I was brought forth in a state of wickedness. In sin, my mother conceived me, and from my beginning, I too was sinful. In Galatians 3.22, in, in just the chapter before this, Paul says that the whole world is a prisoner of sin. Now, you've already heard us talk about Lily Grace, and this is a shameful display of fatherly pride uh, there. <laughs> but this is what I want you to know. We don't have to teach kids how to sin. As much as I love my dear Lily Grace, and I've, you know, I believe that she's God's gift to me and to everybody else in the world. Lily Grace, uh, you know, is, there's some, been something going on with her that, that Mindy and I have noticed. Many of I, uh, we've noticed that, that, that Lily Grace is growing up a digital native. You know what a digital native is? Somebody that grew up during a time where there was internet. Somebody that grew up in a time where there were screens. And, and as a result, she can already, at the age of two, manipulate any device that you can imagine. She really can. And as much as we said we would never, well, Lily Grace gets a hold of our cell phones and she watches videos. We began to, to see that some of the videos that she was watching didn't really reflect our values. There was this one, and it, it's a cute little video. It really is. But in this video, it, it's, it's a nursery rhyme, and it, the child lies to his dad about eating sugar. Now, it's cute, and it's sweet and all that, but we don't, wanna, we don't want her to see that over and over and over again. And for a while, whenever it would come on 
uh, YouTube or whenever we come on the phone, she'd run to us and go, no, 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 no. And that was wonderful. We were loving it. But then there were some other things that, that began to pop up. We put a rule in place against the, the sugar video and she would come in and tell us no, but there were other videos that she began to see that she was not supposed to watch. And you know what started happening? We would hear them and we would say something to her. And before you know it, she was sneaking off and watching the videos. Now she didn't have to be taught to do that. That was something that is hardwired in the hearts of all of us is, is to, to do those things that, that we're not supposed to do. And there's a tendency in all of us. I don't know what your particular bent is, but we all have it. So until her little nature can be changed, she needs a guardian. She needs some rules to keep her safe. And we put those in place. Galatians 4.2 says it like this. They have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father set. And that's the way it was with us before Christ came. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. The law, the rules, the traditions are guardians. They're the things that would keep us from hurting ourselves. They're the things that would help keep us from destroying ourselves. And especially for the Jews. You know, this was written, you know, as you were beginning to see the, the transition of, of God working with only Jews and, and began to work outside of the bounds of Judaism. And here God is saying, hey, listen, I've given you the law to keep you, to sustain you, to make sure that you survived primarily for the reason so that Jesus could come. In Galatians 3.24, Paul said it like this, therefore the law was our disciplinarian until Christ came. So we had the law. But the truth is, is it's real easy to take the law out of context. It's easy to let the law eclipse what we know about the heart of God. And that's what happened in Judaism. It had become all about the law. They had taken the laws that God had given them and they added 600 or more to them and God had become like a cosmic boss. The laws were a job description that determined whether or not you were raised or fired, quite literally. The Judaizers of the day were saying that the new Christians had to adhere to all the laws, even the ones they made, before they could become Christians. This is something that they had not been able to do either. And the whole system bred rebellion. Now let me talk about that for just a second. Uh, breeding rebellion. Did you know that we can instill rebellion in the hearts of our kids? You know, we all talk about spoil the, you know, spare the rod, spoil the child. We all have to discipline our kids. But I'm just gonna tell you, if you discipline a kid and you don't have relationship with that child, that's a recipe for rebellion. That's a recipe for rebellion. And that is what's going on a lot of times with the Jews in this time, is, is they are, are getting the discipline of God, but they don't have the relationship with God. As a result, a lot of times, it breeds rebellion. What if all you saw was the impossible law 
and that's all you saw of God, how would it make you feel? Well, there may be some of you here today that are in that place. Maybe God's just a series of do's and don'ts. Maybe you know, maybe what you know of God feels more like bondage or feels more like slavery than it does freedom. I think that's exactly what Paul is addressing right here in Galatians 4. Let's go back to the scripture. It says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption as children. And because you were children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a child, and of a child, also an heir through God. So let's look at that, that first line. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son. The fullness of time. The perfect time. You know, I, I love geeking out uh, and, and thinking about God and thinking about physics and all that. And there's at one point in time that I surmised that, that God had the principles of light and, and probably could exceed the speed of light. And you know, if God could exceed the speed of light, you know that he could be at the beginning of time and the end of time and every point in between simultaneously. So when you start thinking about God in those measures and you start talking about uh, he, take, he finds the fullness of time or the perfect time, the right time, he is highly qualified to do that because he's seen it all. He knows every instant and he can be in every place at every time, the beginning and the end. Now, that's just me, you know, supposing about the physics of it, and I, I really don't know the physics of God. I, I don't, and, and there's nowhere in Scripture that, that says all that, but I do know that the Bible says that Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and by Him everything was made, and nothing was made unless it was by Him. I know that's what the Scripture says. This says, but when the fullness of time comes... Just the right time, God sent his son. The fullness of time. Now there are theologians that say that it was the fullness of time because of the way things were in history. Okay, they say that, that because of the Roman rule in the world, you know, the Romans had, had set up this, this wonderful empire. It's wonderful if you're a Roman. I mean, they had set up this wonderful empire, and in that, they had built roads, and, and they had set up this thing that they called the Pax Romano. It was peace. Now, it, it, was, it was peace through oppression, uh, but it was peace. It, and, and a lot of theologians said that it was the fullness of time because in this time of peace that the disciples could move around without encountering wars, without encountering, you know, terrible things that would normally be in about because of the Roman government. There are other theologians that says that this was the fullness of time because uh, basically there was a common language throughout the known world and that was Greek. There were other theologians that said it was the fullness of time because there were philosophers, Greek and Roman philosophers, that were thinking about life and the meaning of life and, 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 and prognosticating and thinking about those things. And there were Stoics and there were Epicureans and, and all of that. And, and there were these, this, this exchange of ideas. They said that was the fullness of time. Now, all those m may be true. 
I don't exactly know what the fullness of time is in, in their minds or in, in the time of Jesus, but I'm going to tell you that I know what the fullness of time was for me. You see, I grew up a good Methodist boy. I had been taught the word from an early age. It had been my disciplinarian all my life, my guardian, my trustee. It literally kept me for years, kept me safe, kept me out of jail, kept me from dating people I ought not. It had kept me for years. But there was one night that I found myself utterly aware that I couldn't keep the law. And now that's the weakness of the law, isn't it? The weakness of the law is that we can't keep it. The weakness of the law is that no matter how much we try, there's that tendency on the inside of us to want to do the wrong thing. And I came to myself one night realizing that I couldn't keep the law. If I had to keep the law to be okay with God, the truth of the matter is, is I knew I was going to hell in a handbasket. I had fasted, I had prayed, I had studied, but I would still fall. The fullness of time for me was when I could no longer hold up underneath the weight of the law. It was when I realized that I could not be good enough, that, I had to, that if I had to be able to change myself to be right with God, then I was shot. You know, there are many people that are in the same boat as I was. I had struggled, I had struggled with the law and struggled with the law and I had tried everything and, and even got to the point where I was angry because I came to realize that, that the law required something of me that I was unable to do and I felt like that was incredibly unfair of God. Why in the world would you say this was wrong and I had to do what was right and I couldn't do it? There are many people that are in the same boat as I was. They look at the traditions of the church and the laws found in the word and either rebellion rises up on the inside of them or absolute hopeless despair. It's the reason why many try to dismiss the law and are so vehemently against calling the Bible the word of God. The truth of the matter is, is there's something there for all of us to struggle with. All of us. If there's something, if you don't struggle with anything in the Bible, then, then you need to read it again. I'm just saying, because there's something in there to offend everybody. And I believe it's the Word of God. You know why I believe it's the Word of God? Because if it was written by man, I'm pretty sure that there would be a passage in there that says, the way to holiness is through fried food. You know, if it was written by man, there'd be something about French fries, something about Briar's ice cream, something about, you know, uh, all those things. Something to make it easy, something to make me feel good. But it wasn't. It was written by God who knew us all intimately and knew what hurt us. So when the fullness of the time, at just the right time, had come, God sent his son. In a place of condemnation, in a place where I realized that I was not enough, in a place where I struggled, in a place where I had tried, I, in a place where I was angry, God sent his son. 
Now, I know that God had sent a son 2,000 years before I was born, but I'm going to tell you, this was just the right time. God once again showed me Jesus. He showed me that he had sent his love while I was yet a sinner. You know that scripture? That while I was yet a sinner, Christ died? He sent Jesus a hope for righteousness. He sent Jesus someone who could forgive me. He sent Jesus who would walk with me and change me. And it was in the relationship that that happened. That that happens and is happening. I'm here to stand before you and tell you that, that I still have struggles. And if you know anybody that says they don't, they struggle with lying. I'm just saying. But Jesus is the one, and the Holy Spirit is the one that they call the paraclete, the one that comes alongside to take hold with. He's the one who walks with you. And I can remember crying out to God going, God, I'm doing all this. What are you doing? I'm trying to be good, God. I'm trying to keep the law, God. I want to. He said, trust the process. Walk with me. So you fall, you repent, you get back into fellowship with God. And that all comes from Christ. But in that, you begin to discover something of the heart of God. Galatians 4 goes on and says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent a son born of a woman, born under the law. We like to talk about Jesus and we like to talk about his sacrifice we think about his sacrifices being the time that he died on the cross. No. That was honestly the easy part. I think we missed it. Jesus came and was born into this world and lived here 33 years. Not a world that he designed, but a world that offers hurt and death to all who live here. I believe that's what the psalmist is talking about in Psalms 23 when he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, Jesus came and was, subject, and was subjected to all the pressures, the pains and concerns of this life, including being a Jew and being under the law. You know, you hear stories about people who rush back into the fire to save the ones that they love. That's a picture of Christ. Christ didn't just die on the cross. Jesus came back into the fire for you and I. He came into a place that was inhospitable. He came into a place that was painful. He came into a place that was full of hurt. And he had to deal with them in such a way that he came out the other side righteous and we came out the other side with an opportunity to be saved. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. That's one of my favorite words in the whole English language, redeem. One of my favorite names for God is he is the great redeemer. He is the one that sets things right. He is the one that, that makes things in order. And I'm going to tell you that part of me that struggles with the law, that part of me that wants to do wrong, he is one day going to absolutely finish redeeming me and it will no longer be a struggle. Jesus came to redeem you know, he didn't run into the fire and yell at me that I was on fire. 
He came to set me right, to save me. He came to be my safety. He doesn't come to say, oh, it's okay that you're on fire because everybody else is on fire too. Jesus came to save those who could not save themselves under the law. Galatians 4.4 4 says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law in order to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption as children and that we might receive that, I'm sorry, I typed that twice, that we might receive adoption as children. The reason why is because this is the part I get excited about the most. Remember the law was our disciplinarian. The law was our nanny, okay? The law was our nanny for children who were like slaves. But here it says that we become children, but the children here, it's, it's different. It's not small children, the Amplified says it like this. Oh, well, that's a, the Amplified says it like this. So that he might redeem and liberate those who were under the law, that we who believe might be adopted as sons, as God's children with all the rights as fully grown members of a family. So the law was to keep us safe when we were children. But when Jesus comes, when Jesus comes and redeems us, when, when we acknowledge who he is, when we believe in what he's done, and when we know that, that he's at work in our lives and we're having that relationship with him, something changes. There's a change that happens. And all of a sudden we go from being children under the law to being fully grown children, heirs. When we welcome Jesus into our hopelessness, into our fire, into our lives, Jesus becomes the key for understanding the heart of God. The law ceases to be our nanny, and we get the rights of a grown-up heir. Galatians 4, 6, and because you really are his sons and daughters, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave or a bondservant, but a son. And of a son, also an heir, through the gracious act of God, through Christ. I want to ask you, do you remember when it happened to you? Do you remember the day that your spirit changed toward your parents? Do you remember that day? I do. I resented my parents for the rules that they had for me for what I had and what I didn't have, for the ways that they didn't let me have it my way. But one day when I was trying to get on my feet as a young man and I had worked several shifts of 16 hour days, it dawned on me. It dawned on me who my parents were and what they had done. And I called my dad on the phone. Some of you have heard this story. I called my dad on the phone and said, Dad, we gotta talk. He said, son, I'll be right there. I was living in Springfield. He was living in Dublin. He got in his little truck. He drove all the way to Springfield. He knocked on the door. And when I opened the door to, 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 open, to see him, I fell into his arms and I said, Dad, I'm sorry. I didn't know. I'm sorry. I didn't understand. I, I, I didn't understand. Have you ever been there with your parents? Where it seemed like, you know, you were just a slave. They were bossing you around. 
they were just trying to, to, to make you do things. And as a result, your heart toward them it was not a heart of relationship. It was resentful. I'm going to tell you that day, the slave, someone who had to obey their mom and dad, whether I liked it or not, that day I became a son. Now, as I look back at my home life, the story's totally different. Instead of running my mom and dad down for how terrible they were to me and how hard they were on me and how strict they were, I look back now and I am the proud son of Murtis and Buddy Williams. I quote them quite often. I try to emulate them every chance I get. Why? Because I've seen their heart toward me and I've seen all that they did for me. It totally changed the way I related to them. And before their passing, I'm going to tell you that their requests of me became a whole lot less burdensome. You know, before when I was young and they would say, I want you to do so and so, I'd go, oh, mom, oh, dad, I don't want to do that. But when I became a young man, a son, my mom said, hey, Jay, I got a doctor's appointment. I said, I'll be right there, mama. I'll be right there. Galatians 4, 6 God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying out, Abba, Daddy. You see, now listen, when we believe and trust in and we cling to Jesus as the antidote for our sin and life's pain, we get to see the heart of God toward us. And even though I believe that God quite literally sends the spirit of Jesus into our lives when we trust him for the purpose of transforming us and guiding us, I also know that our spirit toward God changes to match the way Jesus related to God. He sends his spirit, the spirit of his son, into our lives. And now all of a sudden, God is not the cosmic boss. All of a sudden, God is not the do this and do that guy. He's not the man upstairs. Now all of a sudden, he sent his son for me. He wrote all of history to say he loved me. He knew the worst thing that you were going to do in your life, the worst thought you've ever had, the label that you were going to choose. He knew all of that. And he still came after you because he loves you. It's the difference between a son and a slave, a daughter and a slave. In 1 John 5, 3, it says it like this. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Do you see the change that happens when we begin to see the heart of God toward us? So today, we must ask the questions. Are you still reacting to the law as our nanny are you still being good whether you like it or not? Are you still trying to do the do's and trying to do the don'ts and trying to keep out of hell? Is that where we are? Have we welcomed Jesus and received the grace and relationship that comes from him?
What spirit do you have toward God this morning? What spirit do you have toward God this morning? Now the truth is, the law didn't pass away. But it's no longer the law that governs us. It's our love for the Father who has loved us and it's the understanding that his heart's for us. Welcoming Jesus moves us from the trusteeship of the law to the heart of a grown heir, a son and daughter of the most high, loving, ever faithful God. Let's pray. Lord, I don't know about them, but you and I know about me. I still struggle with the law as my nanny. Father God, I pray in Jesus' name that, that I remember the gift of your son. Father God, that I remember the grace that you've given, that I let that be the thing that drives me. Father God, you've been so faithful. Your love and your mercy, <laughs> Father God, has been unstoppable. In the times where I would have written me off, you have come after me with love and fever. And Father God, I believe the same is true for everybody here. Father, I pray today that, that we all know Jesus and welcome him into our lives. And in that we see your heart and as we begin to see your heart that the spirit of the Son comes into our lives. Father God, and we begin to react toward you as sons and daughters instead of slaves. Set us free. Free us for joyful obedience. In Jesus' name, amen.